our new series on uh, the victorious Christian and how to walk in victory. Now, last week we began our series by talking about the seeds of victory. Today I want to talk to you about the source of victory. Both of these messages are uh, foundational for the series. Uh, in fact, they kind of set the stage for the rest of the messages in the series, and I believe they're important. That's why I'm sharing them with you kind of on the front side and, um, and so keep these in mind as we advance through some of the other topics that we'll be talking about when we talk about things like uh, victory over worry and victory over loneliness and victory over fear and some of those kinds of things. I wonder um, how many of you have ever heard or seen the Rocky movies? How many? Oh, that's a bunch of you. Okay. Um, and uh, then you know that it was, this, you know, who Rocky was, the boxer and you know, and there was, uh, there were at, at least three, I think there was actually more than that, but number three is considered uh, the best of all of them. And if you've seen the series, uh, in that one, uh, Rocky is the world champion, and he, um, he's being challenged by a guy named Clubber Lang, who is played by the infamous Mr. T, if some of you remember Mr. Mr. T. And Rocky avoids him for a while, and then finally he has to face him in the ring. And when he does, it is a disaster. Uh, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, just destroys Rocky in this battle. And Rocky loses his world title. He becomes a downcast and depressed and disgraced and angry with himself. And uh, believe it or not, though, encouragement comes to him from, of all places, a guy named Apollo Creed, whom had beaten Rocky, but then Rocky beat him to become, you know, Rocky always ends up becoming the world champion, you know. But he had beaten him, and then Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed beats him, and then Rocky beats Apollo Creed, and then, then Clubber Lang beats Rocky, and so, so Apollo Creed comes to Rocky and says, you can't you got to get back up. You're the champion. You got to get back up. You can't say, and he says, I'll train you. And so Apollo Creed becomes his trainer and his aide, and he begins to help Rocky, uh, Rocky train. And it's one of, from that era, one of the classic underdog kind of movies, you know, and there's this scene in it when, when Apollo Creed starts the training and it goes for about three minutes and it's Rocky training. And you know, that famous Rocky music, comes on. Y'all know the Rocky music? What? Oh, go, go Adrian. That was the first movie. But, um, so you remember, I mean, uh, Bradley, you know the music, the Rocky music? Yeah. Sing it for us. No. Uh, you know, I got to thinking, I saw all those movies and I got thinking, does the Rocky theme have words to it? It doesn't, but it seems like it ought to, doesn't it? Will you write some words for the Rocky theme? Make them Christian words, okay, or something like that. Well, so in this scene, Apollo's training him, and for three minutes they play the Rocky theme, and you see him kind of getting him back, getting himself back in. He goes from down and out to this hardened warrior, and in the climax of the film, Rocky faces Clubber Lang again, and guess, I bet you know what happens. Rocky beats Clubber Lang and once again is the world champion. Now, there's this theme kind of in this as Rocky is preparing that, that, that he can't do it alone. He's got to have help. And Apollo Creed comes alongside him to be his help and his inspiration, his motivation, and to help him overcome the odds and, and win the championship again. As I was thinking about that, working on this message, I thought, you know, there's a... There's a lesson for spiritual victory there for us as spiritual warriors we can't simply go into battle against our enemy alone we need to realize that our enemy is fierce he's strong and we're no match for him in our own efforts but we have some good news there is somebody that has come alongside us jesus said he is called the paraclete uh, in the Greek, and he is our comforter, but more specifically, our helper. It is the Holy Spirit. 
God is with us. He's with us in the form of His Holy Spirit to help us face the enemy and, and lead us to victory. And with that kind of in mind this morning, I want to talk with you about what is the source, the help behind our victory. So I want us to read this passage. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand this morning? Let's read our text beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, the book of Zechariah. The prophet records this, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of all, uh, all of gold, with a bowl on top of, of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring uh, forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Lord, would you take this passage now, and would you speak your truth into our hearts Father, would you help us understand that we're inadequate apart from your help to face the enemy and the battle and to walk in victory. And so, Father, teach us about your unlimited uh, power and help to us uh, to equip us and enable us, Father, to live our lives in victory for you. Speak now, we pray, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. And in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I want to give you some background about what's going on here uh, because it's important to understand what's happening. There are several characters in here. Actually, there's another uh, person in this um, text that we don't really talk about in this particular section. His name is Joshua. We see him over in chapter 3. He's the high priest, and what's happened is Israel has returned uh, from captivity. They've been in captivity for 70 years. They are returning to Israel, and part of their task, and they did that over several kind of excursions back, and part of their task is to rebuild. They've been instructed by God, go back to your homeland, go back to Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple, all right? And so that's what's going on. They're back in Jerusalem, and they had begun this work. But it hadn't got, gotten very, very far. They got discouraged. They, they, when they got back to Israel, here's what's going on. While they were away for 70 years in captivity, and since Babylon and the Persians ruled uh, Jerusalem, other nations of people had migrated to Israel. And so when, when, when Israel actually comes back there, the land's already inhabited by people from all over the place. And those people aren't real happy that Israel has returned. And so they, they put all kinds of obstacles in their way. They harass them. They fight them. They do everything they can to, to uh, undermine what Israel has come back to do, and that is to reconstruct, rebuild the temple. And so against that, God sends a message to Israel, in particular the leader. So there's a man named Zerubbabel. Do you notice that? Zerubbabel is the governor of Israel. He's kind of the political head that is, has been tasked with organizing the people to carry out the work of God. And so, uh, so but, but he can't get them to do it. They're, again, they're discouraged. So they just basically gave up the process and just quit working on it. So God sends a message to Zechariah. Zechariah is the prophet of God. He's the messenger of God. And so This book has a number of visions where God appears to Zechariah the prophet. This is the fifth vision that he has received. And an angel, messenger, we don't know who it is. Some speculate it was probably Gabriel. But brings this message. Here's what the Lord says. Here's the message you need to take to Zerubbabel. It's word from God. You need to take this to Zerubbabel to help him understand that he's got a source of power to carry out this work that he's not tapping into. 
And so Zechariah comes and he shares the word of the Lord to help them understand uh, how they can experience victory after all of this defeat they've been going through. Now here's an important uh, truth, and that is much of the outward challenges that you and I face are just like the challenges that they were facing. Did you know that they were facing, it looked like physical obstacles, but there was more going on. If you go back to chapter 3, you see that they were facing Satan. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And it goes on to talk about Satan was behind the scenes uh, trying to undermine the work of God. He always is, and that's true in your life. And so that the important truth for us is the same as it was for them to understand that much of the obstacles, the things that discourage us and the things that get us down and uh, are, are really have an unseen connection. And we have to learn. We'll talk about it. We'll close talking about this unseen kind of uh, perception that we need. I, I really believe the, the reason that defeat is so common among Christians is because they forget to see the spiritual side of what they are facing. And consequently, they try their best to fight the battles and find victory in their own strength and eventually just wear out. You may be here today and you may be kind of worn out as a Christian. I mean, your energy is down, your passion for God is down, you just kind of go through the motions. I believe that happens a lot of times because we try to live for God in our own strength. And you know, that'll carry you for a little while, but eventually you just wear out trying to live for God in your own strength and you just find yourself failing time and time and time and time again and so we need a supernatural kind of strength and power and this is the message of Zechariah to the people of God I like what Tony Evans says he says those who are victorious don't let the opposition throw them off their game plan they prepare hard studying their enemy and focusing intensely on executing God's plan even in the midst of conflict defeated Christians however allow the circumstances, their circumstances, to redefine their strategy. The opposition then beats them mercilessly until they are just too weak to fight back. So if we were to summarize what we've just read here, I would summarize it this way. God's will in your life cannot be accomplished by human strength or human power. It's got to have a supernatural component to it. And the good news is that this story also provides us with the key to living our lives in victory. And I want to show you three things. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that we have an endless supply of God's spiritual provision. We have an endless, look at, look at verse 3 there in chapter 4. It says, and there are two olive trees. Now, let me see if I can help you understand this, this vision that Zechariah has in which the angel speaks to him. The angel says to him, all right, or he says, here's what I saw. I saw a, a light, and it had seven lights on it, and, and it had a bowl on top of this lamp, and the bowl was for receiving the oil. The oil then drained down through the stem and out to each of the lights, and then each light had a lip, and the oil bubbled up, and it was lit, and consequently, that's how it provided light. Okay, you got that? So this bowl on top was the container through which the oil uh, fed the, the lights. And then he says there are two olive trees, one on the right, one on the left. And he says the olive trees uh, have a purpose. You know what the purpose is? To supply this endless amount of oil into the bowl that feeds each of the lamps. Are y'all with me? Does that make sense? Now, here's the point of the trees. In the temple, in the main temple, there were lamps that burned olive oil. Olive oil is plenteous there. And there were lamps in the temple, we're told about. But temple servants had to constantly be filling the, the bowls that fed the lamps with oil in order for them to burn. Are y'all still with me? Okay. But in this case, you got two olive trees. Do you see what's going on? So the, the bowl is filled, but it doesn't require uh, human attention. It doesn't take a human constantly pouring the oil into the bowl. Why? Because the source of the oil is right there at the tree. So the 
olive trees there represents this never-ending supply of oil into the bowl to feed the lights okay so what is the meaning it, the meaning is simply this God was saying to his people the oil represents my spirit and there's an unending supply of my strength and my power to my people if they'll simply tap into it. Zechariah is telling them that we have access to this unlimited supply. Now, what does it remind us of? Well, it reminds us of some things. It reminds us that the provision and the, the constant filling of the Holy Spirit for God's servant uh, is, uh, exists. I mean, this whole picture is to remind us that there's an unending supply of oil, the Holy Spirit's power for us to accomplish whatever it is, uh, living for God, whatever the obstacles we face, the power uh, is there. And I'll tell you how we tap into it in just a moment. We're hearing a lot today about a thing called supply chain issues. Y'all have heard that, right? Supply chain issues. And, um, and you, you know, supply chain issues... Um, I heard a, a guy on uh, this past weekend, and his uh, title, they said, what is your title? And he said, I'm a supply chain analyst. I thought, I can do that. Man, you mean they pay people to be a supply chain analyst? I can do that. Here, best I can tell is the supply chain problem is that they can't get the product to the consumer. I am now a supply chain analyst. I've analyzed it. But at any rate, they're talking about, you know, all these ports around the world where there are ships just sitting there. You've seen pictures of it, perhaps. And it's not that there isn't product there. What's the problem? The problem is they can't get the product to the port because they don't have enough workers at the port. And then they don't have enough truck drivers to get the product if they get it to the port, away from the port to the people that they're trying or to the destination intended, all right? So they say it's a supply chain uh, issue. We, we, we can't get the supplies to their intended uh, destination. Um, and the, the subsequent consequences have been all kinds of economic fallout, uh, inflation. Uh, there are all kinds of hardships and, and side effects. In fact, uh, I, I ordered something for my wife for Christmas and I ordered it, so you'll know well in advance of Christmas, and it didn't arrive until after Christmas. And um, it was a gift for my wife, but I said, you're a victim of supply chain management issues. I said, sorry, after 40 years, she's used to having supply chain issues. Uh, but but uh, it, it arrived the week after, and uh, so we got it. But it, they told us on the front end, or told me, and on the front end that it would arrive before Christmas and I but it didn't okay uh and so now we're in marriage counseling because of it but no it it, it we got it but here's the point in telling you we're hearing all about supply chain there are hundreds of ships sitting off these ports all of this they can't get the product to the destination I want to tell you something you know what Zachariah is saying here you know what the olive trees represent you know what the bowl is about it is about there is no supply chain issue with God what God wants to deliver is not about his ability to get it there. It's there. It is about our understanding about how to tap into it. And, and, and so it, it is a reminder that God has all that we need to accomplish all that he wants us to accomplish. It's a reminder that we're, we're by the way, you know who the bowl is in this picture? It's you. The bowl on top of the lamp is you. And and that is, we are to be like the bowl. We're to be the means through whence the oil, the Spirit of God, which is often referred to in the Scripture as a symbol of the Spirit, as the Spirit of God is to flow through us. It is to flow through us. And that's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. So the Spirit of God flows through us, and He is glorified through our lives. And guess what happens to us? We live victoriously. And by the way, we're commanded to this. You know, in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul said, don't get drunk with wine. In other words, because it mimics, it, it, it may try, you may try to mimic or substitute the power of the Holy Spirit 
But he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command. It's an imperative in, in the Greek language. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, though, carries the idea of not just having the Spirit reside in you, but the Spirit of God rules over you. And the idea here that we see Zacharias is, is God is trying to tell Zerubbabel and the people of Israel, you want victory in this thing? Then you've got to allow the Spirit of God to rule in your lives and in your response to what you're facing. And so a, a lot of folks, I believe, say, well, I, I, you know, I know I have the Spirit of God in me. The question is never do you have the Spirit of God in you. The question is, is the Spirit of God ruling over you? If you're a believer, when you got saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. But the question is, does the Spirit of God have authority over you? Does the Spirit of God just reside in your life, or does He preside over your life? And that's the message He's trying to help them get if they want to understand how to live and experience this victory. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist, was asked a question one time by someone who said, Why do you always pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit? Why, why do you always pray that? And he said, Because I leak. I leak, and we do too. And so uh, the Spirit resides, but He may not be filling your life right now. If you're dry, if you're empty, uh, if your passion for God, if you're, if you're discouraged or you feel like you're living in failure and defeat, it just may be as simple as, as restoring Jesus Christ to His appropriate place through the Spirit of God in your life. And this is the message He's trying to get. Being a victorious Christian is not about the availability of power. Being a victorious Christian is not about the, and that's the message here. There's an endless supply of, of power. It is about accessing this unlimited power that is available through the Holy Spirit. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to notice here in verse 6, and that is there is an enabling strength from spiritual power. There's an unlimited supply, but there's also an enabling strength uh, from spiritual power that's why he goes on to say to them this is the word of the lord not by might not by power by my spirit says the lord of hosts zerubbabel was trying to do all of this he was trying to do the will of god but he's just trying to do it in his own strength some of you have been here long enough and i've told this story several times over the years and i'm not going to go through the whole detailed story but my first year here i had a dream and it was a dream from God. I've had that happen twice in my life in over 40 years of ministry. But God spoke to me in a dream. It was very graphic. It was very much in detail. When I woke up from the dream, he immediately put a scripture on my heart. I went to that scripture, and that scripture interpreted my dream. And um, there was one part that he did not reveal to me in that dream, and it had to do with a balloon. Now, some of you have heard that. I'm not going to go through the whole dream again, but some of you have heard me talk about it over the years. It was about our church here. And in the dream, just suffice so you'll understand, there, Allison and I have this long leash, and that leash is connected through a wrought iron fence into a cemetery where there's a small elephant. The elephant is playing in the cemetery. And Alice and I are trying to pull the elephant out. The elephant has no idea it's in a cemetery. It's just having fun. It's just kind of running around. And Alice and I, on the outside of the wrought iron gate with the leash, we're trying to tug this elephant out of the cemetery, which is never going to come fit through that wrought iron gate. But we're tugging and tugging, trying to get this, this elephant to come with us. And we are sweating profusely. And there's a hill and a road, and you, if you look up this way, and here was the interesting thing, in the, the graveyard was gray and black and the wrought iron and all of that kind of stuff. But if you turn and you look up this way, it is a, it's all in color. This side is in gray and black, and this part of the, it is all color, and there's this magnificent road and this hill up to a, a lush green uh, valley, and the sun is beautiful. And I'm trying to get, and Alice and I are trying to tug this elephant up that road. And we're sweating. The elephant doesn't know it's in a cemetery. It doesn't know that it is in a graveyard. By the way, the elephant is the church. And, um, and so there, but tied to this rod iron fence is a blue balloon. And it's the only part of the dream when God gave it to me that I didn't, that didn't get an interpretation. And so, by the way, I would share that from time to time over the years. I'd have people call me and say, I know what the blue balloon is. And they would tell me, this is what the blue balloon, I said, nope. They said, well, what is it? I said, I don't know yet. 
but I know that's not it. And I remember, so the blue balloon is significant. I won't go into all the details, but I remember where I was. I was when I, it was about three years later when God revealed what the balloon was. The blue balloon represented the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to get in why blue and all that sort of stuff, but just as profoundly as he had spoken to me in the dream, he spoke to me about that was because I kept saying, God, I don't understand. What is the balloon? What is the balloon? What is the balloon? Balloon's the Holy Spirit. And I remember where I was. I was in a pastor's meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, when God made that clear to me. And that's probably because there's a bunch of pastors there, so it was a very boring meeting. And so God had my attention, you know. And he, but the balloon, the balloon was the Holy Spirit. And, and, he, and he took me in that moment to this passage. Now, the color is significant for reasons that I don't have time to go into. But he took me to this passage. And, man, it was profound. Not by might, not by power. It's not by might. It's not by power. This only happens through the Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Now, the path to victory is the Spirit of God operating in your life. A motivational speaker some years ago said this, if it is to be, it's up to me. Now, now that sounds heroic. And I'm not fussing at this motivational speaker for saying that. But it's just not true for the Christian. That statement's just not true. In fact, if you want a statement that is true for the Christmas, it, uh, Christian, it would go like this. If it is up to be, uh, if it is to be, it's up to thee operating through me. Now, I mean, that's the accurate thing. It's up to him operating through us if it is to be. We get ourselves in a mess when we try to do God's work our way. Not to mention the fact that we often exhaust ourselves spiritually in the process. And the reason that many Christians are worn out today and they're living in a life of defeat is because they are trying to live victoriously apart from the power of God. You remember Acts 1, 8, one of the great verses in the New Testament where Jesus had already been raised from the dead. They had already seen him. They knew he was alive. They had motivation and they had inspiration. But you know what Jesus told them? He said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive power, uh, that, uh, until you are endowed with power from on high. See, they were excited. They had seen Jesus. So they were, there was plenty of motivation and inspiration. We need to, we got a mission now that we've been assigned but Jesus said, don't strike out yet. Don't, don't take off on the mission. What he said, you go wait on me until you are endowed with power. Here's what Jesus understood, what's still true for us today. You can't serve him in your own strength, even if you've got motivation and inspiration. Motivation will only carry you so far, won't it? Inspiration will only carry you so far. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you probably have made some physical goals uh, or resolutions for the year. Maybe to lose some weight. That's always number one. Have you ever noticed how many weight loss commercials come on in the first couple of months of the year? That's because people always say, I'm going to lose some weight this year. I'm going to lose some weight. And, you know, and so they have all that kind of stuff. And they do these inspirational things and these motivational things. And uh, people get all pumped up. They know. They'll pay. They'll sign up for subscriptions. And I'm not, hey, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just simply saying they understand. We've got to inspire them. We've got to motivate them. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've done some of that before. You know, you've heard me talk about before. People put a picture on the refrigerator of some Hulk or some uh, uh, lady out of Cosmopolitan or something like that, and, and they'll, they'll say, wow, that's my goal right there. That's my goal. And after about uh, uh, six weeks, they, they don't even see that image anymore. It just vanishes, you know, because they know what's behind the refrigerator door, so they just no longer see it. Well, that's motivation and inspiration, but they tell us it rarely lasts. This is the message. You may be motivated spiritually, but that will only carry you so far. Have you ever seen people that, man, they were all on fire for Jesus? They were all committed to the things of Jesus, and then as quickly as they seem passionate about God, they lost their passion and their, their zeal. Now, there are a lot of reasons. It could be tolerated sin. I mean, there could be all kinds of things. Yeah, um, they could have got their feelings hurt. All, you know, all of those kinds of things. In fact, But a lot of times, you know what it is? They burn out, and they burn out quickly. I've talked to people who have said things like this to me before. Oh, man, I used to be involved. I used to do this, and 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 I used to do this. I just wore out. Well, hey, by the way, uh, 
uh, you will wear out if you try to do all that in your own strength. That's why Jesus tells these, these followers, wait on me until you receive power from on high because what you've got to do, you can't do in your own strength, but I've got plenty of power to enable you to do what I want you to do and how, to, how you can live victoriously. And so the power came down. It's called the day of Pentecost. The power came down and then the disciples went out. But they didn't go out just because they were inspired or motivated having seen Jesus. Does that make sense? They had to have power. You do too. You've got to have this very same kind of power. And if you're dry, empty, if you've lost the passion of God in your life, if being a victorious Christian is a part of your past and not a part of your present, most likely, if you are a believer, you have become a victim of trying to live for God in your own strength. So the Spirit of God resides in us so that God can work through us. And this was Zechariah's message to Zerubbabel. It is not by your strength. It's not by your leadership. It's not by your motivational talk. It is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so you've got to tap into the power. But how do you do that? I mean, that's the question, you know, that's the big question for all of us. How do we tap into the power? Well, let me quickly give you three ways that you tap into the power, okay? All right? Three ways that you, you and when, you're, when the power's not flowing, you Look, you learn, here's the process of tapping into the power. What are they? Three ways. Now listen, I'll explain this. The first is to resign from being the manager of the universe. There are some of you who, man, you feel like it's your responsibility to manage everything. And you try to manage things that God says, you don't need to be doing that. You just need to walk with me. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Resign. Resign. Look, he created it. He can handle everything. He doesn't expect you to manage everything. What he expects you to do is abide in him. You know what the word abide in the Greek means? Meno, it means to literally dwell in him. And notice he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. A branch exists. It doesn't, the branch doesn't give life to the vine. The sap flows through the vine to the branch. You see, we get it backwards sometimes. What we're trying to do is be life to the vine. And you can't, you, that's a sure path to spiritual defeat. So there is power in the vine, but the branch has to, to access it. If the branch doesn't abide in the vine, if the branch tries to live on itself, it's only a short time until the branch dies. Right? And so Jesus says, look, you abide in me, I'll abide in you, and then you will bear much fruit. He's talking about, I'll supply you with power to live. But for that to happen, you and I have to, we have to resign. And the second thing we have to do is submit our plans to the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit your, your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. You know what we do sometimes with good intention? We try to get God to get on board with our plans. Instead of saying, God, here, I think this is what you're doing. I think this is your plans, and I submit my plans to you for your review, either to advance them or to do away with them. But a lot of times we go, ah, I've got this plan. I believe uh, this would be good. I believe God would be pleased with it. God, don't you want to get on board with my plans? We may not say it like that, but essentially we take our plans and we try to get God to get on board with our plans. And what God is saying is come and bring your plans to me and surrender your plans to me. Not only abide in me, but let me have your plans. Because Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you. See, God already has the plan. Now, sometimes God may move in your life, and he puts uh, part of the plan. He was doing that. He was trying to show them what the plan is. The plan was to rebuild the, the, the temple, but they were to do it in his power, his way. We have to be careful that we don't substitute our plans or try to get God to join our plans. Uh, 
five decades of ministry, I've had people come to me on a number of occasions, well-intentioned, and say to me early on when I pastored, people would come and say, Pastor, I got this idea I think we ought to really pursue as a church. And it usually was stuff very good. And then what they try to do is just hand it off to me. Can you kind of get this moving and everything? And I used to, because I thought, I've got to please everybody. Y'all ever had that problem? And I used to think, well, I can't say no, or it would sound unspiritual if I didn't. But you know what? After a few years, I began to realize that their plans were not necessarily my plans, or their plans were not necessarily even God's plans. And here's what I, I began to say. I said, wow, that's a pretty cool thing. You think God is in that? Yes, I do. I said, then if he put it on you, it probably means he wants you because he didn't put it on me. He probably wants you to give energy. And you know what? Most of them crashed. Because really what they were saying is, I got this plan here. But many of them succeeded because they, they would go, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And they would do it. And I can tell you about a lot of ministries that sprang up because of that. People found that niche, that place, that thing God was calling them to. Here's what I want you to understand. We take our plans, because sometimes your plans might just be bad pizza. You just got to hold some bad pizza and you came up with this weird thing. And it may not be of God at all. Do you know Paul even said this when he was writing to the church at Colossae? He said, Put me a room together because I hope to be visiting you. Now, I thought that's interesting. I hope to be. This is Apostle Paul. Wouldn't he know whether or not he's going to visit the Colossians? But he said, I hope to be visiting you. You know what he was saying? My intention is to visit you. But God may have another agenda. And that's what you and I have to do. If we want to experience the power and, and, and live victoriously, we have to, to say, God, here are my plans. I give them to you. And then third, if you want to tap into the power, make Christ Lord. 1 Peter uh, 3.15 says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. That goes back to something I said earlier, which was simply this. We have to be careful that we don't just become content with the Spirit of God to reside in us. We want the Spirit of God to rule over us. And that is a choice that you make. That is a choice. You know, the Spirit of God is not a bully, and the Spirit of God will never force you to allow Him to rule over your life. And this, again, is the reason so many Christians live in defeat, is because they haven't learned to let the Spirit of God rule over them. All right? So you get that? You got that? Does that make sense? All right, there's one last thing I want to show you. I want you to see we also have in verse 7 an encouraging statement about spiritual perception and this goes back to some of the stuff i started talking to you about look at verse 7 this is a I, i've referenced this passage many times over the years i've preached on it a couple of times but as i was preparing today's message i i i stopped a bit on verse 7 who are you says the lord of hosts or who are you O great mountain before zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone. And I thought, you know, I've always kind of left that verse out when I've talked about this passage, but it dawned on me that there's an important statement being made about spiritual perception here. You see, God was telling Zerubbabel that what appeared to be a giant obstacle, this mountain, was no obstacle at all before Almighty God. And this is about learning to differentiate between how we see what's going on in our lives and in our world. And the reason that a lot of Christians live in defeat is because they don't see that there's something bigger going on that, doesn't just, uh, that isn't just physical insight. That there's an unseen battle going on. That there are things going on behind the scenes. And if we allow ourselves to live purely on the basis of our physical sight, our perception physically, we're going to find and experience a lot of defeat spiritually. Because, as I said earlier, almost everything physically going on in our world and in our life has an unseen spiritual connection. Are you all with me? Almost everything that goes on. And so if we don't learn to look beyond just what our physical eyes see. So here's what God was saying. Zerubbabel and them were facing all of these challenges and everything. So in verse 6, 
God says to them, to the people of God, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by my spirit. And then he says, so this mountain, are you making the connection? So this mountain that you're facing, whatever it is, the mountain that keeps defeating you, whatever it is, he says, you've got to understand that the mountain is no match for God. And it's all about how you see the mountains. Because a lot of times, you remember when Israel was trying to go in the promised land? They went and spied it out. The 12 spies went and spied it out. And they came back, 10 of them gave a bad report. Only two, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. Because Joshua and Caleb had their eyes on God. The other 10 had their eyes on the enemy. And the other 10 came back and said, well, there are giants in the land. And when we looked at them, we became, this is an interesting statement. Go back and read it for yourself. They said, when we looked at the giants in the land, we became grasshoppers in our own eyes. See, we saw the giants. We didn't see God. Joshua and Caleb said, we can take this place because God is on our side and God is leading us there. Do you see the difference in spiritual perception and physical perception? There's a lot of defeat in Christians' life because they, they have not learned how to see beyond the physical. They haven't learned to recognize that what's going on is more than just what my eyes can see physically. So, uh, so God says to uh, Zerubbabel, hey, listen, the mountain that you see that you think you can't, it can't, just keeps defeating you, the problem is you're looking at the mountain and not looking at God. Victorious living means that we learn to see with spiritual eyes. Their victory wasn't tied to what they saw. And I hope that encourages some of you, if you're watching or or here in this live audience, that your victory is not tied to what you can see. Your victory is tied to seeing God, to getting your eyes on Him. There's no mountain that is a match for God. Spiritual perception is more important than physical perception. Spiritual, the ability to see spiritually is more important than than physical uh, vision. And it's essential for victorious Christian living. It means our our view of life, uh, life's details, life's obstacles, it means they're all affected by our perception of who God is. If you don't have the right perception of the spiritual things of who God is, then guess what? You'll be defeated by all the mountains because the devil will always put mountains in front of you to discourage you and to defeat you. I love the story. Let me tell you about a story. I'm almost done. Let me tell you about a story. One of my favorite stories is in the book of, uh, of Kings, uh, and it's about Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, and um, there's this thing going on. The, the king of Syria is a wicked dude. And he hates Elisha because Elisha has been calling, out, calling him out publicly for his sin. I mean, he knew things, Elisha knew things about the king that the king couldn't figure out how he knew it. Well, we know how he knew it. But, and so there comes this occasion where the servant of the king of Syria comes in and, and, and the king says, how does this guy, he keeps calling me out. How does he know this stuff? And the servant says, I don't know. But he even knows what's going on in your bedroom. And so um, the king said, I've had enough. Let's send the armies of Syria to get him. And they send the army, the, the, I mean a massive army, chariots, everything. And they send them to, to, to get to capture Elisha and bring him in. And so the, the story goes that one morning, the servant of Elisha now, gets up, it says he goes out, and when he goes out, he sees the Syrian army surrounding the city with their, their chariots, their war machine, I mean, their soul, everything. They're coming for Elijah, and it, and it panics this servant. He goes running in uh, to Elisha, and he says, Master, 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 alas, the Syrians are upon us. And Elisha, just as cool as he can be, just sits there rocking in his rocking chair. I, I'm not sure about that, but he just, you know, he, he doesn't panic. The servant is young and he's panicked. And Elisha utters this great line. He said, 
relax. They that be with us are more than they that be with him and them. In other words, we have an army with us that's vastly more powerful than what they have. And then Elisha prays a prayer. He says, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he might see. And God did. And the Bible says when he opened the servant's eyes, that the servant looked out and he saw the host of God surrounding the city with, with uh, swords of fire drawn and ready to. By the way, the army of Syria saw him too and decided to leave. But he said, look, look, let my servant see, open his eyes. so that he can. By the way, you know where this all happened? In Dothan. Go read the story. The prophet was hanging out in Dothan. Dothan's a pretty good place to hang out. And, and, and so it all happened. But the key was that Elijah prayed that the servant would see the truth and have spiritual eyes. And when he did, he realized, oh, <laughs> what's going on physically has, uh, is, a, is connected to what's going on spiritually. And God's got a whole army here surrounding this city to protect the prophet Elisha. Spiritual perception was the secret to being able to walk in victory. Listen, people, don't miss this. You've got to learn to see that there's more than just, you see a mountain, but there's more behind the mountain. Does that make sense? You want spiritual victory, you've got to learn to see spiritually. Dove Soap uh, released a series of commercials that questioned the beauty industry's relentless pursuit of the perfect woman. And in a commercial called Evolution, which I went and looked up because I'd read about this, and, and so I thought, I'm going to look the commercial up, and you can go, you can go find it uh, as well. But in this commercial called Evolution, a woman wearing no makeup walks to a chair, and she sits down. And as the camera focuses on her face, we see a series of time-lapse pictures that show her evolve all the way to a billboard model. First, the makeup artist, they tone her skin to perfection. Then a horde of hairstylists surround her, transform her straight uh, shoulder-length hair into a cascade of these windblown blonde curls. And after a dozen uh, pictures of her are taken, one shot is chosen in particular. Let's let this be the picture that we use. They take that picture, and then a computer designer begins to manipulate that picture. They make her neck longer. They make her eyes bigger, they make her cheeks thinner, and after recoloring her to perfection, the final perfect woman is posted on a billboard for beauty products. And as the commercial comes to a close, these words silently kind of uh, appear onto the screen, and I quote, no wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. Many Christians are living in defeat because the world has manipulated reality. The world doesn't give us the real view. It distorts the truth about reality, about God, and about victory. It has been happening since the very beginning. It was the tactics used by the devil in the garden when he said to Eve, Eve, you sure God has really said that? Manipulate the truth. Manipulate reality. It was what happened uh, to Israel when they were facing these obstacles to try to rebuild the temple. And, and the truth was manipulated. This is a mountain. You can't overcome this mountain. And it is still the same tactic that the devil uses in your life and my life today is to take the truth and manipulate it and tell us that what we, what we see is the truth and sometimes what we see is just purely what has been manipulated. By the way, ladies, that was not an argument against makeup and hair and all that kind of stuff, okay? I like that stuff, um, for what it's worth. But do you get the point? God wanted his people then, and he wants his people now to know that there is no mountain too big for him. As the old song says, ain't no mountain high enough, right, 
for God, it's true. But if you, all you see is the mountain, you will have a distorted view of reality. Victorious living comes when you and I learn to see beyond the physical and understand that there is a connection to the spiritual and what's really going on. So, what's your perception of God? Is God to you a victory maker or is your physical world a victory breaker? It gets back to your understanding that He has an unlimited supply of His Spirit. It gets back to He has an unlimited supply of power to enable you. And it gets back to understanding the importance of seeing not just physically, but with spiritual eyes. You want victory? Those things are instrumental. These two first two messages really set the stage for how to live and walk in victory. Let's pray together. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching by live stream, and man, you just feel like you've been living in defeat and despair and discouragement and mountain after mountain and you haven't connected the dots that there's a spiritual war going on. I want to encourage you today to call out to the Lord. If you're a believer and say, Lord, I've allowed your spirit to reside, but I haven't allowed him to preside. And Father, today I want to once again come to you and I want to, I want to surrender my plans. I want to surrender my control. I want to stop managing the universe. I surrender. And I, Father, I want to exchange my plans for your plans and my power for your power. Tell him right now that and tell him, Lord, I want a new sense of passion for you. And I'll do this every day. I'll get up every day, God, and make my appeal to you and empty myself of me and call on you to fill me. Maybe you're watching this or you're in this audience and there is no residence of the Spirit in your life because you've never received Christ. And you can take care of that this morning. Why don't you do that? Call on Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. By live stream, television, in this live audience, you can call out to Him in your heart sincerely. Say something, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I need your power. I need you in my life. And I confess that I'm a sinner and that you, I know you died for my sins. And so right now, would you come into my life and would you become my Savior? Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. You'll hear that prayer, I promise you. Lord, would you now, Father, in these remaining moments, would you speak and move in this place in our hearts? We turn to you. We call on you. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.